0: Father, we thank you that we can trust you, that you are enough, that your love and your provision for us in our lives is more than enough. Lord, I pray you will help us to be content in in what we have, that we will trust you with the things that we think that we need, because Lord, we know that you see our needs you're ready to meet the needs that we have, but Lord, it's still tough to trust you sometimes, especially when things don't go exactly how we think they should go. I pray that now as we open the scripture, you will give us insight into how you're calling us to live. That You will empower us to live out what you're calling us to do as well. Because we know that in ourselves, Lord, we are weak. In ourselves, it's easy to focus on ourselves. But I pray that through scripture and through your Holy Spirit this morning and beyond, that we will honor you and that we will love our neighbors as ourselves, just as Jesus calls us to do. So we lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to turn in the Bible this morning to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. If you did not bring a Bible, but would like to follow along in one, you can grab one from the pew and turn to page 1213. As you're turning there, I want you to imagine that you are a traveler in the Roman Empire back in the first century. Now, your mode of transportation is not a car or railroad or airplane because those have not yet been invented your mode of transportation is your feet. And that's a relatively lengthy journey. It's going to be multiple days. Now, on the first evening of your journey, you enter a village. You're weary. You're hungry. You're sticky from dust and from sweat. All you want to do is relax. But you have to figure out, how's that going to work? It's not quite easy. Your options are limited. I mean, there's probably an inn somewhere in that village where you could crash for the night. But those types of establishments are hotbeds for immorality, not your type of place. I mean, you could sleep outside for the night. But at the same time, the threat of thieves is probably going to cause you to toss and turn throughout the night, sleeping with one eye open just to keep an eye on what's happening around you. As you're standing in the town square, considering your options, a man and his wife approach with warm smiles, and they invite you to spend the night in their home. They can tell that you are a traveler, and you accept gratefully. Now, during the meal that evening, you see this family treating each other with such respect. Through the course of the evening, several of their friends stop in, bring supplies to share with you for your journey. And these people, they greet one another in the name of some guy named Jesus. That kind of catches you by surprise. This family, they pray for you, and they share with you a story of crucifixion and resurrection, a story of forgiveness and grace. The next morning, after a restful night of sleep, you resume your journey Refresh not only in your body, but also in your soul. And as you're journeying through the course of, the event, of that next day, you think, you know, in that next city that you stop in tonight, perhaps, just maybe, you will seek out a group of people who call themselves Christian. You know, this type of story played out countless times in the early church. Countless times. And it's instructive for us as we see how we can live out love to those around us. And I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So that's our passage for today. It's a passage about living out love. Now I want to offer a definition of love. Because love can be misconstrued, it can be kind of confusing. My definition of love is that love is a commitment to another person's highest good. It's a commitment to another person's highest good. Love is not merely a romantic feeling. It's not to be reserved just for those closest to us. It's more than that. It's a commitment to another person's highest good. Now today we're going to look at three aspects of living out love. And it's going to be one aspect for each verse in our passage. Now Hebrews 13.1 is short and sweet. It says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. And this is telling us to intentionally love your fellow Christians as if they are family. And it's not a dysfunctional family where the siblings can't talk with each other and where parents are fighting constantly and where you have a cousin who's suing an uncle. It's not that type of family. A loving, healthy family. In Hebrews 13.1, the Greek word for brotherly love is Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I imagine you've heard that term before. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is a city that is called the city of brotherly love. It's not called that based really on how people there treat each other. It's called that because the name Philadelphia means brotherly love. The name Philadelphia consists of two words put together, two Greek words, philos, which is love, and adelphos, which is brother. So, brotherly love, this love that you would have for your family, where you stick together, where you support each other, where you enjoy each other, and where you truly desire the best for one another. This is Philadelphia. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Now, this love, this brotherly love is to characterize how Christians relate to one another. If our faith is in Christ, we have been adopted into God's family. He is our Father, and every other Christian is a brother or sister in Christ. We are family, and a healthy family is to be characterized by Philadelphia, this brotherly love. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said to his followers, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So based on what we've been talking about here, I have a quiz for you. You can answer it, whether out loud or in your mind. What one word should characterize Christians? One word. What one word should characterize Christians? I would say Love. I mean, Jesus says it should be love. He says that the identifying characteristic that would tell the world whether a person is a true Christian is their love for one another. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says that even if we speak eloquently and even if we do amazing things, if we don't do so for a motive of love, we have failed. I mean, there are certainly other words that can and should describe Christians, But I think this idea of this focus on love should give us something to chew on. I mean, when people, for instance, in America think of Christians, do they think of us as loving? If not, why not? Like I said, it's certainly something to chew on. But for now, I want to move on to verse 2. Verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, verse 2 may not seem to have much connection to verse 1 about letting brotherly love continue, but that's because we're reading it in English. If you were to read it in the original Greek, you would see there's definitely a connection there because there's a play on words. In Hebrews 13.1, the Greek word for brotherly love, as I said earlier, is Philadelphia. In Hebrews 13.2, the Greek word for hospitality to strangers is Philosenia. Philozenia, Philadelphia. Both are compound words that begin with the term philo and end differently. Like I said earlier, Philadelphia ends with adelphos, so that's brotherly love. Philozenia ends with the word xenos, which means stranger. So Philozenia means love for strangers. These strangers are people that we don't already know. It's people who may be considered outsiders. People who are different from us. So it's saying that just as we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, so also we are to show love toward even those who are strangers who we don't know at this point. Now Hebrews 13.2 is saying intentionally love people you don't have a prior relationship with, particularly when you see a need. This is described as hospitality. Now, it's probably a different type of hospitality than we're familiar with in our culture, isn't it? Because in our culture, hospitality is typically seen perhaps as throwing a nice party at your home or in your apartment and welcoming people into that. Or hospitality is seen as cooking a good meal for some friends or sharing the guest room in your home. But in the Bible, hospitality is not focused so much on friends, but on strangers. Because anyone can be friendly to their friends, but God is calling us to go over and above that, beyond that. That when we see a stranger, especially one in need, that we will treat them as if they were a friend. Let me share with you an example from the Old Testament about God's heart. In this, it comes from the Mosaic Law, the same chapter that talks about not stealing and not lying. Leviticus 19, verse 34, says, You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I hear this and I think, Man, this is remarkable. It's telling the Israelites if they have people among them who are strangers, who are not necessarily Israelites, they should still treat them as if they were native Israelites. They should treat them as if they were a friend. So here's a good question to ask ourselves. As I come across a stranger who has a need, what would I do if this person was my friend? When I come across a stranger who has a need, what would I do if this person was my friend now realistically the specifics of how this plays out the specifics of hospitality have changed at least some since the first century for instance hotels today are much better and much safer than the the equivalent was back in the first century and so i'm not saying that we should go out some on some street corner or something and just invite in strangers to stay in our home that's not what I'm saying here. But the principle remains that as I come across a stranger who has a need, what would I do if this person was my friend? And that should guide us in how we relate to them. I mean, we see this mentality in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I mean, Jesus tells of a man who is beaten and robbed. He's left dying on the side of a road in the middle of nowhere, and there are these two religious leaders who come by and they just ignore that guy. They show no philozenia, no love for strangers. But then there's a Samaritan man who sees a stranger in need, and he treats him with love. He invests time and money in making sure this man gets the healing that he needs. He's committed to the stranger's highest good, even when it comes as a sacrifice to himself. And this shows that hospitality does require sacrifice. That's why 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, show hospitality without grumbling. I mean, it does more than just say show hospitality. It says show it without grumbling. Why without grumbling? Because Peter knows it is sometimes hard to serve to love other people well. It presses against our comfort zone and our self-centeredness. And when we are feeling that way, that's a good time to recall the love of Jesus who sacrificed immensely to show love to us. That's a good time to ask Jesus to fill us with his love and generosity that then he can share through us with other people. Now, realistically, we still cannot meet every single need that we see. That's just not possible that's not realistic but at the same time there are many needs that we can and should help meet now as we talk about hebrews 13 too, i read it earlier there's probably a part of it that may have caught your attention i want to return to it now if it didn't catch your attention then let me read it again and it might catch your attention this time it says do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares Did you catch that? Entertained angels. What in the world is that talking about? I mean, one interpretation of this. A number of people out there will say, you know, this this shows that God regularly sends angels into the world in human form. And they're just kind of wandering around. So we better be nice to everyone we meet. Because we may very well be interacting with an angel without even knowing it. That's not an uncommon interpretation of this verse. I would not say Bible scholars typically interpret it that way, but it's a popular interpretation. Supporting that even more, there are many stories of people claiming to have had an encounter with an angel. Maybe in a grocery store, or on a jogging trail, or during a car accident. You know, angels are real. And it's certainly possible that some of these types of stories are accurately interpreting what's taking place there, but at the same time, that is not what Hebrews 13 is talking about. Hebrews, I want us to recall, was written to Jewish Christians. Do you want to know the very first thing that would have popped in the minds of these Jewish Christians who were well versed in the Old Testament? They would have heard this connection between hospitality and angels. And for at least the vast majority of them, the very first thing that would have immediately popped in their mind was the most well-known instance of hospitality in the Old Testament. It included angels. It's in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18, three men show up at the tent of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah show them incredibly warm hospitality before realizing that these men are actually angels. And that's a very unique circumstance of these angels appearing, they're coming to tell a message that they're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah on a mission from God. And they're telling Abraham in part because his nephew Lot is in harm's way. And then in Genesis 19, the angels go down into the city And Lot is living down there, and he shows incredible hospitality to these angels. And so we see here that Abraham and Sarah and Lot all entertained angels unawares. And these were powerful historical examples of hospitality that the author is using to show what it looks like to love strangers well. So it's not so much that we have um, angels who are masquerading as humans just to try to test us to see are we going to be hospitable. That's not really what it's talking about. Instead, it's using an example from history. Like I use a lot of examples in sermons to illustrate things. It's an example from biblical history of hospitality lived out, the value of showing warm, caring hospitality. Now let's move on to verse 3. I just want to look at verse 3 just briefly. It says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now there's a lot that could be said about that verse, but the thing I want to point out for us is to intentionally love others the way you would want to be loved. Intentionally love others the way you would want to be loved. This verse is talking about people who are easy to ignore or forget, namely those who are in prison or who are mistreated, in some way. It's easy to ignore those people or to to just forget about them because you know, out of sight, out of mind. Now, most most likely, this is referring to Christians who are imprisoned or persecuted for their faith. It says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. So it's saying, think about what you would want if you were in prison. It's saying, put yourself in their shoes. Would you want people to come visit you and to show care for you while you're there? Or would you want people to forget you and ignore you while you're there? odds are good you want people to come visit and show care. So saying, you do the same thing. Put yourself in their shoes. Show them the same type of intentional love that you would want if you were in their shoes. I think about how down through history, Christians have lived out these principles of love quite well. I mean, not perfectly, And sometimes very poorly, but usually quite well. Let me share with you an illustration from history, back from the fourth century. This takes place a few decades after Christianity was legalized in the Roman Empire. There's a man named Julian who became emperor. Now, Julian, he despised Christianity. He was trying to replace Christianity in the Roman Empire with paganism. Take it back to more pagan roots. But even as he despised Christianity, even as he was pushing for the rise of paganism again in the empire, he could not deny the love that Christians had for those around them and how that was impacting the empire. I want to read to you a portion of what he wrote in a letter. As you hear this, Keep in mind that Julian, this emperor, he despises Christians, which comes across in the way that he writes. He writes, Why do we not observe that it is there, meaning the Christian's benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism? And in this case, atheism was unbelief in the pagan gods. He says, For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans, that was his term for the Christians, that these Christians, they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Teach those of the Hellenic faith, meaning other pagans, to contribute to public service of this sort. Now, there's a lot there. That's the reason I put it on the screen just so you could follow along with your eyes in addition to your ears. There is a lot there to chew on. But he's saying that just as much as he despises Christians, he recognizes that Christians are loving other people well. Christians are even caring not only for their fellow Christians, they're caring in practical ways for pagans who are poor. He says this looks really bad for us pagan leaders because we aren't caring for the poor who are pagans in that way. So he says, we need to teach pagans to love and serve people as well as the Christians do. I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? Someone who despises Christianity sees the Christians as a model of love, of of philisianus, of hospitality. Is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, lived out. And we are called to live this out as well. You know, there are countless ways that we can apply the topics we've talked about today. Countless ways. I hope that in our minds, I imagine that most likely, we've probably been thinking of ways that we can apply it. I hope that's the case. Because we're called to live out this type of love to those around us. Now, if I were to sum up today's theme in one sentence, I would say, be intentional to love people, even beyond what comes easily. You know, it's easy to show care for our friends when it's convenient, but the type of love that God's calling us to goes above and beyond that, even beyond what comes easily. Now, I want to close by offering two specific applications that pertain directly to our ministry here through Friedens. First of all, next Saturday, Freedans is hosting a neighborhood party in one of our parking lots. It's it's open for people just to drop in whenever they want during that time period from from 10 o'clock in the morning to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. There's going to be food and fun activities for all ages. Now, the primary reason for this activity is outreach, just to help build goodwill and relationships with people who live in this neighborhood right here around Freedens. But at the same time, I want to encourage everyone to invite people who you know, even if they don't live right here in this neighborhood, invite them. That is going to be key to this event being a success. Even if they don't live in this neighborhood, everyone is welcome who shows up. On top of this, I want to encourage everyone who's part of the church family, even if you are inviting people, come. Because it's a great way for the Freedoms family to connect with each other and with others. But it's so important for us to understand that for this event to be a success, that when we are there and we see people that we do not know, that we are intentional to reach out to them. And that's relatively simple. It just means, you know, having a conversation with them, or even as you heard in the children's message, smile at them. That's at least a starting point. But it means going beyond your typical spheres of friendship and talking with people, being friendly to people who you don't know. You know, maybe there are people from church you have been attending here for a while that you just don't know yet. That's still a great connection to have. But maybe as well, it's someone from the neighborhood or someone from the broader community or neighboring town who heard about this, and they come in, and it makes a world of difference if we're able to just build a relationship with them, be friendly with them. So I want to encourage us all to step outside of our comfort zone and talk with people that we don't yet know. And I also want to encourage us to bring the same mentality on Sunday mornings here at Freedens, Because worship services are the most common entry point for newcomers into a church, but it can be so intimidating to go to a new church for the first time. As I said earlier from Hebrews 13.3, it's important to put ourselves in the shoes of another person, look at things from their perspective. You know, if you've been around the church for a while, it can feel like the church is very, very friendly. But one reason it may feel that way is because you know people. You have friends here, and when you come, your friends are all friendly to you and vice versa. But it oftentimes doesn't feel as friendly for people who are new. It can feel very intimidating when you come in, and it feels like everyone else already knows each other, and you are the outsider. And statistically, most newcomers will determine whether they're going to return before the worship service even begins. It's those first few minutes on the church's property or in the church's building, largely determined by how they are or are not welcomed by that church family. So this makes a big difference. So so in practical application, I would encourage us that before and then immediately following worship services to be intentional. If we see someone we don't know, to go talk with them, even before talking with friends, because our friends will still be there. But newcomers probably will not be. So get to know them. Offer perhaps to sit with them if you're talking with them before service. That can make a world of difference. Invite them for coffee or for food after the service. Again, this makes a big difference. Five years ago, I was on a sabbatical. And during that time period, my family attended different churches in this general area during those weeks. I specifically remember going to one pretty prominent church in, in this area. And that, that church sticks out in my mind because my family went in there for the worship service. got there a few minutes early. We stayed for quite a while after the service because we just wanted to check out the building. We'd never really been inside to any significant degree. And so we just went in and checked out the children's area and the youth area. And through our entire time in that church building, not one person said hi to us. Not one person even said hi. I mean, we were not just confined to the sanctuary, those people who come in last minute and leave right when the service is over. I mean, we were there, we were walking through areas that maybe strangers shouldn't just be walking through. I mean, there weren't active ministries going on, but still, we're checking out the children's area, we're checking out uh, the youth area, just kind of, you know, checking out the church. Not one person said hi to us, much less engaged us in any sort of meaningful conversation. And that certainly left an impression. And it's not a positive impression. I do know that this church does a lot of good ministry. And maybe it was just that particular Sunday morning. But it certainly did not leave a good impression that if I were checking out churches, I'd want to return to that church. And I compare that with another week during that sabbatical of going to a similar-sized church in the same general location. Um, And we went to that church. And we walked in. And as we're in the lobby, we're just kind of looking around, checking things out. And there's a guy walking through. He didn't seem like an official greeter or anything. He wasn't on staff of the church. But he saw us just kind of looking around. And he stopped and said hi and had a conversation with us, asked us if this is our first time here. He pointed us to the sanctuary. He talked with us again later after the service. And through the course of our morning there in that church, we checked out areas of that church as well. Because, you know, as a pastor, it's nice to see, hey, what's, what's going on here? What's, how's this church laid out? That was also leading up to the building project, so we were kind of curious now that the churches are laid out but as we, as we you know looked around the building and, and even after the church service, we stayed in the sanctuary for several extra minutes because people came up, they talked to us, and that made a difference it leaves a very different impression and so it's important that we understand that when we come to worship services or classes on Sunday mornings that we're not just coming for ourselves and not just coming to interact with our friends but recognizing we have a ministry to others, a ministry even of outreach, people taking that step of faith, coming in to our midst, and we have an opportunity to minister to them, to show love even for strangers, and it makes a big difference. You know, there are so many ways for us to love people well in our family, in our church, in our neighborhood, in school and workplace and stores, Maybe while we're out on a walk somewhere and we see someone who might have a need or just might need an encouraging word. And so I want to pray for us now that we will have eyes to see and hearts that are ready to respond to the needs that we see. And one other thing I want to point out before I pray is that if, this, if love is in our heart, especially the love of Christ is filling us up, it will come out naturally in any type of interaction that we have, whether with friends acquaintances, or strangers. So one thing to be praying is that God will fill us with his love so that then in all of our interactions, again, whether with those who are closest to us or those we've never met, that his love will overflow into their lives. So let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your love for us. That while we were far away, while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. You pursued us. You didn't wait for us to come to yourself. We couldn't come to you, Lord, on our own because our sin was constantly leading us away from you. But we thank you, Lord, that you have pursued us out of your love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. And Lord, I pray that you will fill us with that type of love, a love that is intentional to care for others and their needs, Lord, please give us eyes to see the needs around us, even our own family. Lord, I admit, I think others in this room too would admit, that there are times where there are needs, even our immediate family or with others that we interact with on a daily or regular basis, that are easy to ignore because it's easier just to focus on ourselves and our agenda. Lord, I pray that, like the Good Samaritan in Jesus' parable, that when we see a need and we have the ability to help meet it and it's for their highest good, that we will be intentional to show love, the love of Jesus and help meet that need. In the process, Lord, we know and trust that you will use those interactions to draw people to yourself. Lord, I pray for the neighborhood party coming up next Sunday, for the Grief Share program, for other initiatives, other ministries. I pray for Ignite, for Motion, for small groups that start this week. Lord, I pray that these will be activities and events where relationships and goodwill will be built. That will build bridges to the gospel. Because we know that ultimately people don't just need love from us, they need love from you. They need a Savior, they need Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your love. I pray that you will work in us and through us so that we will be conduits of that love, that philoxenia, that Philadelphia, to those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.